When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to an Ono Media podcast. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's head over to Arizona for this unexplained and unnecessary murder that was a case suggestion from a loyal Rise and Crime listener. And this is fresh too, but not for the family. It's been too long without an arrest for the family. We just have to hop back to the Saturday before Halloween. That's October 28th of this year. And we know it's a festive and mischievous holiday, and many teens were out celebrating on that weekend before the actual Halloween day because of school and such. Well, in Queen Creek, Arizona, a house party filled with high school teens from various schools was bumping. There were a ton of kids there. And in my research, I've seen it reported that around 100 kids were in attendance, but in some of the news articles, the number of partiers was closer to 200. So whatever the actual number, it was a significant amount of young kids. And it wasn't really that late yet for a high school party. It was just after 9 p.m. when police received a non-emergency call. So that's not a call to 911, but more like the regular line where maybe a concerned neighbor would give the police a heads up about kids possibly acting up a bit. Well, officers responded to the non-emergency area where they found dozens of teens walking through the streets of that particular neighborhood. And it appeared most were leaving the house where the party had actually been happening. Now, Queen Creek Police Chief Randy Bryce said his officers reported that there didn't seem to be a party currently underway and that they didn't really witness any illegal activity. But then, about 45 minutes later, it went from, hey, go check out this gathering, to a true 911 call about an assault happening near where the party was being held. Officers quickly responded and they found a teenage boy severely injured lying in the road. Other teens were in the middle of life-saving efforts before officers took over the CPR attempts. And then EMS transported the athletic teen to Chandler Regional Hospital. And then he was sent to Phoenix Children's Hospital. But two days later, the boy died from a severe brain injury. So who is this young man who seemingly was just out having a good time with at least 100 other area teens. He's 16-year-old Preston Lord, a newly minted driver. He had just passed his driving test, and he had received his license. He was also a member of the Coombs High School varsity basketball team and the golf team. 
He was a diehard pro sports fan of the Celtics, the Suns, and the Seahawks. And he was also an academic who was vice president of the National Junior Honor Society, as well as president of his elementary student body, and he also served as sophomore class historian. And he was honored with the 2023 President's Education Award from the U.S. Secretary of Education. Yet, his night of pre-Halloween fun had left him dead after being beaten by a group of teen boys. And now, it's been a month and a half, and Preston's family has zero answers from law enforcement, despite at least a dozen witnesses to the murder. Well, one week ago, at a Queen Creek Town Council meeting, dozens of concerned community members showed up wearing Preston's favorite color, which is orange, and they were there to support the family. But also, they wanted some clarification about where the investigation is headed. And let's not jump to the conclusion that the police aren't doing anything. They actually have served over 50 warrants. But that has left the investigators with extensive amounts of information to analyze and review. Now, during the meeting, Queen Creek Mayor Julia Wheatley took time to recognize Preston's family with a moment of silence. She stated that she condemns the murder and that those that are responsible will be held accountable. But it seems the family might have reason to question that promise. At a vigil for Preston Lord, Preston's Aunt Melissa Lord said the following, It's been a month since a group of boys decided to beat my nephew and leave him on the side of the road like nothing happened. It's been a month since the parents of these boys chose to live a life of silence. A month since we've been shown the real meaning of community. A month of humanity that reminds us that just because there's a handful of really bad people in this world, that people are still really good. A month of so much love showered upon our family and a month of gratitude for all of you walking beside us and holding us up during this devastation. So what is Preston's aunt Melissa potentially referring to? Well, there's an undercurrent in this case, and I'm going to rely heavily on reporting from USA Today for the next portion because it appears Queen Creek Santan Valley and Gilbert, Arizona, and also some of the surrounding neighborhoods have an affluent gang problem. So those are two words we don't usually partner together. Rich white kids involved in gang activity. And some parents in these neighborhoods believe that Preston's death is linked to the Gilbert goons. All right, here's how it appears. These upper middle class teen boys called the Gilbert goons or the goonies For more than a year, they've carried out random assaults on other teenagers. Sometimes the assaults are in mall parking lots. Sometimes they're outside of fast food restaurants. Or sometimes at a house party or a local park. The assaults aren't targeted, but they have become more and more violent as the attacks stack up in number. Usually the attacks are hitting and kicking, but some attackers have begun using brass knuckles. And there's evidence. One boy was hospitalized with a cracked skull, according to police records. The Goonies aren't shy about the social media posts about these attacks. Other teens stand around and film the attacks, and they post the videos to various platforms. In some of the posts, the Goonies' faces are in full view of the camera, and then they even sometimes hold up weapons or guns in the social media posts. So I'm sure you listeners are like, hello, if you have their faces in the videos, how have they not been arrested or at least questioned? Well, the reality is they have. 
But in Arizona, they are protected from public records since the teens are underage. And it seems the attacks are clearly random. They aren't racially motivated. Those being attacked aren't linked to each other. They don't necessarily live in the same neighborhoods or even go to the same schools. And during one arrest, according to the USA Today, one goonie told police that he didn't care who they attacked. They just wanted to assault strangers. And understandably, parents and kids in the Southeast Valley are anxious about going out or letting their kids go out. Teens are worried to even work their jobs for fear of being attacked in the parking lot as they leave. Let's talk about some of these attacks. The Arizona Republic did a series where they covered seven of the attacks perpetrated by the goons over the last year. One video of one attack was shot outside of the Gilbert, Arizona In-N-Out Burger in December of 2022. Okay, that video, it was posted to social media, so it wasn't even obtained through police records. These guys are just that brazen. And you guys, I watched the video. More than a dozen kids are hanging out around the cars. That's not a big deal, right? I'm all in on letting kids be kids. It's just how they socialize. But in the video, without warning, boys swarm an unsuspecting teen. Two assailants take turns hitting the teen in the face as he's pushed up against the side of the car. And then in the audio, you can hear someone scream, let me get back in the action. Then a young woman screams. Then a new attacker enters the video and he delivers seven punches to the victim's kidney area. Then another attacker enters and hits the victim on the side of the head. Okay, in the 26-second video, the victim is hit 23 times. And as if that's not wild enough, here's the more wild part for me. Some of the teens have been identified by their social media accounts, but that hasn't slowed down the increase in attacks. In that In-N-Out Burger parking lot, there have been at least four attacks by the Goonies. And according to the USA Today, Gilbert seems to be like the most centralized location for the attacks, yet Gilbert police officials say the attacks are not connected to the goons. Okay, you heard that right. Parents and teens are identifying these guys via social media, but the police say the attacks aren't connected to the affluent gang members. Gilbert police also say that the attacks, even the ones that occurred in the same location like the In-N-Out parking lot, are not linked to each other. In a statement, Gilbert PD said they do not have documented incidents associated with that group name, meaning the Gilbert Goons or the Goonies. They then said that Gilbert PD has investigated all reported incidents and taken the proper actions to ensure any concerning behaviors or trends are addressed promptly. Now, according to USA Today, Katie McPherson, who is a former teacher and school counselor, but she now works as a community organizer. Well, she's led rallies in Preston's name. She said the assaults are a part of a disturbing pattern. Katie has helped to identify victims of past assaults and link their families with authorities investigating Preston's death. She has used social media to identify goons, and then she cross-references them to the assaults. She said she believes goons were involved in Preston's death, but she doubts they set out to kill him. She said this attacking, well, it's kind of their thing. It's what they do. And she said they do it every weekend. She then posed the question, 
does this now qualify as a gang? And then one mother, Lori Nitson, said her 16-year-old son was beaten unconscious by the goons at a party a year ago. She said the following, I guarantee you in a couple of months, there's going to be another death. It's just getting worse. The kid who dies proves that. And of course, she was speaking about Preston, but law enforcement isn't quite making that connection yet. Because I need you to remember, Preston's death did not occur in the Gilbert jurisdiction. It was in Queen Creek. And that department has acknowledged that they are aware of the goons and the allegations of incidents committed in other jurisdictions. But officials have been careful not to elaborate on what role, if any, the goons had in Preston's murder. And Chief Bryce is quick to point out as well that they want an arrest in the murder investigation of Preston Lord, but they also want proof beyond a reasonable doubt so that they can ensure a successful prosecution and conviction of the people responsible for Preston's death. A GoFundMe that was established before Preston's death has gone on to raise over $107,000 for Preston's family. In an update published exactly one month since the attack, his aunt Melissa wrote that she has a saying, and here's how it goes. The truth has legs, and when everything else in the room blows up and dissolves away, it still stands. So it's always best to start there. She then wrote that the town of Queen Creek will not stand for the cowardice of those who attacked Preston. And then she called on them to come forward and give the student community and the Lord family a path to healing and peace. Well, clearly this investigation is not over and the Queen Creek PD is graciously accepting more tips. I've seen it published in multiple articles. So if you are listening and you have any knowledge of Preston's death or of the goons, you can call Queen Creek PD at 480-358. 3575. Now, anonymous tips and video submissions will be respected. And the FBI is also engaged in the effort. They can be reached at 1-800-CALL-FBI. For sure, I am tracking this case and I'll keep you updated. But here's an important part. Let's learn a little more about Preston before we close out this update. His family remembered him as a young man who was content with what he had he preferred to save his money unless he was purchasing a new pair of Jordans. They said he was also willing to help cover the cost of things if others didn't quite have enough. They described him as loyal, trustworthy, and responsible. And in a heartbreaking acknowledgement, they said he always stood up for the weaker person and he knew the difference between right and wrong. I sure wish someone had stood up for him that night. Hopefully, someone will stand up now. And now, this road rage incident in Texas that left one teen dead, but not before she saved her friends. Okay, it all went down in the early morning hours of December 10th when 17-year-old Louise Jean Wilson was driving her boyfriend and another friend to the beach in Galveston, Texas to watch the sunrise. Houston police say Louise unintentionally swerved in front of a four-door sedan. According to reports, she swerved to avoid getting into a different accident, but the infuriated driver of the sedan became enraged and began shooting at Louise and her two friends. Detective Caleb Bowling said in a press conference that the angry driver accelerated and overtook Louise's car on the driver's side. 
and then he began shooting. Louise was shot in the chest while driving at interstate speeds. As Louise was dying, she safely guided the car to the side of the road on the still fairly busy interstate. Her parents said she was protecting her boyfriend and friend. She then died at the scene. A 17-year-old passenger was also shot in the road rage incident, but he was treated at a hospital and has since been released. Louise was a driven girl who was homeschooled and also worked at a cafe in Whitney, Texas. She was only a few credits shy of obtaining her associate degree. Okay, can I remind you guys, she's just 17 years old. She also volunteered regularly at multiple organizations that included the Hill County Paw Pals Animal Shelter and the Lake Whitney Senior Center. She had plans to pursue a degree in criminal justice. Her father, Daniel, said that he has asked other people, including his pastor, how he can forgive the person who shot his daughter. He said he can't forgive today, but that someday he will. And Louise's mother said she is just hoping that someone will come up with some information that leads to an arrest in her daughter's murder. She said she knows that finding the gunman will not bring her daughter back. But it's important to get someone like the gunman off the street because maybe it wasn't even his first time that he has hurt someone. She said she doesn't want the gunman to go on to hurt anyone else. Now, the suspect's vehicle has been described as a clean, newer model four-door sedan, either dark in color or possibly black. And the driver has been described as a dark-skinned male. And if you're asking how cameras were not available on a busy interstate, well, Assistant Chief of Police Larry Satterwhite told ABC 13 in Houston that cameras are available on the interstate as part of the Trans Star program. But Satterwhite said they had hit some roadblocks in the retrieval of that footage. He declined to elaborate further on what exactly that means. If you were on Interstate 45 in downtown Houston near 1 a.m. on December 10th, or if you just have any tips in this case, you can call HPD Homicide Division at 713-308-3600. All right, let's finish with this story from Virginia, where a privately owned zoo has run afoul of Virginia police and has me asking, what in the Tiger King is going on with this place? All right, the Natural Bridge Zoo is nestled in the tree-lined rural area of Rockbridge County. That's closest to the neighboring state of West Virginia. And you guys, when I say rural, the population of the entire county is just under 23,000. Well, on the Natural Zoo website, the About section brags that the zoo has always been privately owned and has never accepted any sort of federal, state, or local funding. And the zoo has been around for a bit, since 1972. Also in the About section, the zoo staff explains that, and these are their words, that many uninformed but well-meaning people believe that all exotic animals belong free in their natural habitat. And what they don't realize is that in many instances, the wild habitat has been degraded due to lumbering or poaching or agriculture and human encroachment. They then write that they have been breeding threatened and endangered species for over 50 years. All right, so they say they've got exotic animals. What they list are that they have reticulated giraffes, kudu, multiple exotic birds, Bengal tigers, ring-tailed lemur, 
Himalayan bears, bongo and sitatunga antelope, grant zebra, and both capuchin and grivet monkeys. I don't even know if I got all those right, but that's what their website says. Well, they also schedule field trips for schools, and the website has pictures of people riding elephants. Well, this month, the Virginia Attorney General's Office and Virginia State Police executed two search warrants at the Natural Bridge Zoo. Authorities seized 95 living animals and 27 dead animals, all of this according to a warrant obtained by WDBJ-TV. Now, the warrant explains that investigators found dead cranes and servals, an alligator, a llama, and a macaw. They also recovered animal body parts like a giraffe head and zebra legs and a mandrel head. And then, upon examination done by a specialized veterinarian, the white Bengal tiger was euthanized. Now, the warrant also states that several animals were found in filthy habitats without food or water. WDBJ said that a confidential informant who was working at the zoo alerted authorities and provided reliable information to state police. The informant reportedly said that while being trained for the job, that a worker told the informant to always jab the elephants where the bone is close to the flesh. And then the trainer said, make it count. Well, the informant told authorities about the substandard living conditions and explained that a zebra had received expired medication that was meant for another animal. And then the warrant lays out that the antelope habitats are inadequate for the animal's needs. Documentation stated that the animals are cold and shaking and that they need bedding in their shelter to help keep them warm as well as something to break the wind. Now, this isn't the first time that the Natural Bridge Zoo has felt the heat from authorities. Back in 2015, the zoo received a Federal Animal Welfare Act citation for failing to provide an elephant named Asha with adequate veterinarian care. According to a press release by PETA, the elephant had overgrown foot pads, some broken toenails, and dry, thickened skin that hadn't been conditioned. Then again in 2022, the zoo was cited for a second time, this time over the zoo's failure to have direct control over Asia when she was giving rides to visitors. Photos were used to show that there were some times where riders would be atop Asia and the handler would be far away from the animal, sometimes not even in the picture that was provided. Well, People Magazine reached out to the zoo's legal representation, and they said the owners, Carl and Pamela Mogensen, were not given substantial time to prepare a defense. The lawyer, Mario Williams, said in his professional opinion, based on the violations of due process of the legal norms, this is not an attempt saying, hey, we're putting animal welfare at the top of the charts to protect against cruelty. He said, instead, this is an attempt to close private zoos because people have an ideological distaste for them. Mario Williams has filed for an injunction, saying he needs more time to review the nearly 2,000 documents that he has received. He also said the attorney general's office seems to be stonewalling his portion of the investigation. He said the animal unit director, Michelle Welch, told him, that she does not believe he's entitled to depositions before the hearing. And then he said, she said, his only opportunity to cross-examine the seven veterinarian experts 
will be at the actual hearing. All right, there's a whole lot of he said, she said going on there. I'm just telling you his portion of the conversation. And the other portion, the Attorney General's office, well, they're saying they will not be commenting on an ongoing investigation. All right, that's your Monday morning episode of Rise and Crime. You guys, I hope your holidays have been filled with love. As I'm recording this, all of my family's coming in to spend Christmas. I'm so excited. Please keep sending me your case suggestions like the one we cover today. And before you leave, could you hit that like button if you're listening on YouTube or you can give Rise and Crime a follow or even better, subscribe for downloads. Thanks for being here with me. Join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules and keep safe out there.